2: Beverly dials most quickly. Good morning, Beverly. Good morning, Bob. Good how morning. Are oh, it's just another nice morning out there. Got got a little bit of rain overnight, so it's a good start.
3: I know. I was so grateful. I wanted to know, Bob, about cornmeal on the uh trees. Um, uh-huh. on how far uh, that you spread the cornmeal out from the trunk on uh, for your oak trees.
2: For oak wilt prevention or treatment, or are you trying to Trying to be sure you don't get it or fighting what you already have?
3: Be sure I don't get it. Okay.
2: It's it's a real interesting question. And for years, um, you know, we spread it out around the drip line. And Big Tree would use, you know, somewhere between 50 and 100 pounds of cornmeal. The arborists have found that there is an easier way to get the same protection which doesn't involve nearly as much cornmeal. And today, an alternative. If you want to use dry cornmeal, if you have plenty of it, uh, yeah, just uh, where the drip line, really all the way from the drip line into the trunk of the tree. But the arborists are finding that if you take a five-gallon bucket, put maybe a cup of cornmeal in there, fill it with water, let it stand overnight to really activate that trichoderma, and then just pour it, Fairly close to the trunk, they are finding that an oak tree takes up most of the water that it takes up. Not necessarily the nutrients. Most of the water, which is what would have the trichoderma in it, is taken up within 10 feet of the trunk. So, you know, you can stretch the same amount of cornmeal out to many, many, many treatments. A small oak tree, one five-gallon bucket's enough. A tree that's, say, maybe 10 inches in diameter, maybe two buckets. If you've got a real heritage oak that's 20, 25 inches in diameter, probably four or five buckets. So the choice is yours. Uh, You can use a lot of cornmeal, dry on the ground, out in the vicinity of the drip line, or you can use about one cup per five-gallon bucket, uh, fill with water, let it soak overnight, and, you know, just these old cheapo buckets you get from most bakeries. will give them away, or you can go buy them at one of the box stores for a couple of dollars, but... uh, uh, one to five buckets of the liquid around the trunk seems to afford the same degree of protection.
3: Oh, that's interesting. Then, when you say the drip line, is that where the canopy ends? Yes, that's oh, the so far
2: okay. that's the far extent of the branches. The root system actually goes out probably fifty percent beyond that but uh, it's kind of in the area of the drip line where we've always concentrated the cornmeal. And uh, we were seeing oak wilt prevented and cured using that a long time before the arborist came up with this uh, liquid application process, but uh, both of them seem to be very effective.
3: Okay. Well, I had someone trim some uh, small branches off the tree and I didn't know that they did it you know it was several days mm-hmm. later that I discovered that they did it and didn't spray
2: and that's why I was a
3: little concerned
2: well spray them as well as the you know if it's been more than eight or ten days there's no reason to spray now because it takes about uh small limb probably takes five to seven days big limb takes up to ten days to seal over so uh I think you're very wise to uh kind of follow up with a little preventive treatment just to be on the safe side because oak wilt is certainly something you don't want to deal with.
3: Right, right. Well, I want to thank you very much. I love shades of green. Go there all the time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, we always love seeing you, and it's it's just a good little relaxing spot, even if you don't need anything. It's uh Pretty darn, pretty good, darn good way to just unwind. And uh, we have people, uh, everybody from Greg Popovich to some of the local uh, councilmen and things like that, come through and say, "I don't need anything. I just need to relax. I just need to relax." So you come see us anytime you're in the neighborhood.
3: Well, Donna, Wendy, Jerry, your whole crew <laughs> is are just wonderful. So thank you very
2: much. It's my pleasure, Beverly. Thanks for the call this morning. Uh huh. Bye bye. Goodbye. All right, uh, Tamara is next, and it will be Wayne and Frank. Good morning, Tamara. Good morning. Good morning. I
4: bought bought a hydrangea plant at an estate sale. Okay. And after getting it home, I mean, it had brown spots on the leaves to begin with. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me what I need to do for this plant?
2: Can you tell me anything about what kind of hydrangea? Was it one of the big pink or blue or ones with the big showy flowers?
5: Yeah, well it had the big white flowers, but okay. since I've brought it home they've turned pink.
2: Okay. Um because there are two kinds. The actually the best hydrangea for this area is not that one. It's once called an oak leaf hydrangea, but the flowers aren't nearly as showy. The one you have is um it's more of an East Texas hydrangea. The several things that you need it, uh, it needs to grow in the shade. It's probably going to be easier to maintain in the ground than it is in a pot. So if you have a shady flower bed, uh, improve the soil with a bunch of compost when you plant it. And hydrangeas take an immense amount of water. I mean, uh, initially, and certainly while they're in a pot, they're going to need to be watered every day, uh, that particular kind. Sometimes you almost have to water them two or three times a day in the very hot weather. But the, the secrets to growing... You're showing your hydrangeas, and hopefully you got this newer variety called Endless Summer, which reblooms more than once through the summer. Uh, But three secrets. Plenty of shade, really good soil, and copious amounts of water. And uh, don't worry about winters. Hydrangeas are hardy, probably down close to zero degrees. Perfectly normal for the leaves to freeze. Perfectly normal for some of the tips of the limbs to freeze back a little bit. But so long as you maintain the moisture, they'll be right back out next spring, and a whole another round of beautiful flowers.
4: Okay, so you don't think it's any kind of a fungus or anything like that? No, I think on it's, the leaves?
2: no, I think it's probably just. Uh, A little stress sometime, perhaps even before you got it, it dried out a little bit too much, which does some damage to the roots. And then you start getting those crispy brown spots on the leaves, and uh, it's not a disease, not an insect. Uh, All you need to do is give it a little bit better care than the former owner was, and uh, it should stay beautiful for you.
3: Okay,
4: okay. And fertilizing?
2: Uh just a little liquid, uh any good liquid fertilizer has to grow is what I use a lot of and meninas do liquid fish fertilizer is fine. Uh Fox Farms makes some good liquids, Espoma makes some good liquids, uh whatever you have, uh your hive of will be happy with. Okay. All right, all right. Thank you very much. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thank you for the call this morning. <laughs> Goodbye. Okay. Goodbye. All right, uh Wayne is next. Good morning, Wayne.
1: Good morning, sir. How are you?
2: I'm great, thank you. How are you?
1: Yeah, fine. Hey, I bought a house in Bernie.
2: Congratulations. And the
1: house, thank you, thank you. The house has three monster uh, seagull palms. It's got the main trunk plus about three or four babies, or whatever you want to call those guys okay. around it. Yeah. What do I need to do to maintain it?
2: Um, If we have a super cold winter, uh, temperatures forecast to go to the low twenties or below in Bernie. you probably ought to try to cover them as best you can uh I love this frost blanket stuff they call insulate, but um kind of winters we've had the past several years, you really don't need to do anything. Sagos are very tolerant of getting a little dry, so uh just water them as you would your grass or your other shrubs around your home. A plant that is that mature some years they are going to decide to bloom um the male plants and female plants are separate, and what passes for a bloom, the cone as we call it, is different in the two and when that starts happening, you know some of the leaves right around that get a little distorted, a little weird looking but uh I can't think really of a much easier more trouble free plant that you could be getting than a sago and Like I say, your only real worry is going to be if we have one of those super, super cold winters. Down to 23, 25, no concerns whatsoever. But if it's going to get colder than that, you're probably going to need to give them a little protection.
1: I appreciate it. Thanks. Have a great day.
2: You are certainly welcome. Let me tell you one more thing, just in case you're not aware of it. If you decide that you want to separate them, if you want to pot up any of those little... We usually call them pups, uh, the little ones that tend to grow up from the sides of a big sago. It is very easy to do, but unlike most plants, we do not do it in the cool months. We do it in the hottest part of the summer. So uh, don't even be thinking about starting any new plants from this time of the year onward. That's a July-August project, and if you decide they're just too big, you want to start some more plants for friends or whatever, let's talk next summer, and I'll walk you through the process, but uh, don't even think about cutting back or dividing at this time. You can certainly cut off any old fronds that have become discolored or unattractive, but uh, no, no cutting on the big plant itself uh, except in the hottest part of the summer.
1: Thank you,
2: sir. Always a pleasure, Wayne. Thank you for the call. All right, going be Frank and Teresa and Tim and James. Good morning, Frank. I'll be right there. morning, Frank. Hey, Frank. Hey, good morning, Bob. Uh, two quick questions. First of all, uh, you know, remember
6: about six, seven weeks ago, I had that big storm, sixty mile an hour winds and stuff come through? Right. Well, it blew down, blew down a bunch of trees on the golf course, and they had a company come in and shred them all up and haul them off. And uh, when they shredded a whole bunch of them, they just left piles out of the way. Right. And I thought, that's cool. So I got something made made okay. my mulch in my flower beds and that. Uh-huh. And that one, of course, it wasn't all dried out and everything. There's pretty new trees They just shredded them up. So I was wondering about that.
2: That's a good and, deal. Uh, second thing. Free mulch. All you had to do was haul it. It's great stuff. I would not blend it into the ground, but on the surface of the ground, that's as good as, uh, you know, it just as good as any plain mulch you could go buy. If you ever want to make it a little bit better, just mix a little bit of compost in with it, and you'll have an okay. outstanding mulch. But just as is, that's the way Mother Nature's been building soils for thousands of years. So smart man, that's a good thing to be doing. Uh,
6: okay, and that's good. And then second is my roses. I got some roses on the side of the house. Those suck. They're 40 years older. There, They've been there since we moved in.
7: Uh-huh.
6: And um, some of the... the I guess you'd call it the big legs of the thing coming up out of the ground. And everything They look like they're actually dead. But on the top of them, there's a little limbs come out, and they got leaves. So should, I, I was just wondering besides that, and is it too late to trim them back so they'll be a little
2: thicker maybe? Yeah, I would trim them this late because then you get new growth that has potential for freezing back. I would fertilize them. I would be giving them weekly a good thorough deep watering and all those guys can certainly remember when Valentine's Day's Day comes around. And Valentine's Day is oh, about yeah. the time to do your severe cutting in the spring on all these okay. bush-type roses. So just uh, when, when, you, uh, when you think about uh, roses for the women in your life on Valentine's Day, get out and cut your own roses back, and they should respond very well. But do go ahead and fertilize them. Do water them uh, even through the winter months, and that way they will have a lot of stored nutrient, and they can just jump back into growth when you do prune them.
6: Oh well okay, and some some of them are like uh, I would say four and a half five foot tall, some of them six foot tall. Yeah. how far can I cut those back- i want I was just trying to make them thicker
2: yeah, you can cut them back down as low as um you know even as low as two feet. I'd probably okay. cut them two to three feet on average
6: all right, Bob, thanks a lot.
2: My pleasure, Frank. Thank you for the call this morning, okay, top of the board is Teresa, Good morning, Teresa.
8: Oh, good morning. I enjoyed your class yesterday. Well, we thank you for you. coming.
2: <laughs> I no hope you hope you learned a bunch.
8: Oh no, I did. We're going to try the radishes.
2: Good this, uh, fall. <laughs> very so good. I'm
8: excited. I have a problem with my yellow roses. They already look like they're being bitten by something, but as a bud, you know they're going to die. So I think it's probably some kind of insect or something.
2: And is the damage to the flowers or to the leaves? Okay.
8: No, just the flower, the bud, just the flower. My leaves are green. I checked. There's no
2: buzz
8: or anything on them.
2: When the blooms open, are the edges of the petals, do they just start turning brown and crisp? Yes. Okay. What you have, if you uh, were to get out a magnifying glass, if you busted a bud open and looked very carefully, you'd see many, many little tiny, beigeish, ish creatures running around in there. They are called thrips insects, T-H-R-I-P-S, and mm-hmm. they get in the bud before it opens, and they literally mm-hmm. suck the juice out of the flower. The blooms are already deformed when they open, and they don't last very well at all, the problem is because the thrips are inside of the bud, the kind of things that we would spray on the plant itself don't get down and and harm the thrips. So what you want to use is liquid garlic. Thrips uh, obviously have no Italian blood. They can't stand the taste of garlic. So Mm -hmm. you can make your own with, you know, garlic from the grocery store, or it's easier to go to a good nursery and just get liquid garlic. It'll be sold Mm -hmm. under names like garlic barrier or mosquito barrier, and it will, it'll tell you that it's just garlic juice. You mix that up and spray, spray early in the morning when the uh, little structures called stomata that take things up are wide open. Uh, the rose bush takes the garlic up into its system, spreads it throughout the plant, and the thrips leave because they just really don't like the taste of it. And uh, they're just really bad on roses. I recommend doing it on an ongoing basis uh, just to keep the thrips away from them. It also works on aphids and uh, some other things. But you just need some garlic. You need to just spray those plants thoroughly. The leaves uh, don't put it on the ground. Not going to do any good that way. You want to spray it on the foliage of the plant. It's taken up into the plant systems, and uh, mm-hmm. the the thrips move out, and all of a sudden you start having pretty roses again.
8: Okay. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it.
2: You're sure welcome. Good question. <laughs> Thanks for okay. the call, Teresa. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. All right. Moving right along here. Uh, Tim is up next. Good morning, Tim.
0: Hey Bob. Good morning. Good morning, you for sir. Taking my call. Thank
2: you for calling.
0: You bet. Hey, we live um, in South Bernie, Fair Oaks area, and uh-huh. uh, we moved in about a year ago. And in the backyard, now we have a lot of oak trees on the property. Right. And uh, in the backyard was a, a lime tree, and it's only about two feet tall. As a matter of fact, the tag from the store was still on the thing.
7: <laughs> okay. And
0: uh, I, have, I have fertilized it, watered it, and it's still two feet tall. Uh, is that possibly because it's getting too much shade, not enough sun?
2: It certainly could contribute to it. Um, lime trees are the least hardy of all citrus, and I'm wh- what I'm hoping is that it is still a lime tree because so often uh, limes especially will freeze back, and if this thing has been in for more than a year, unless the former owner's you know, protected it, the top freezes off and then the rootstock is what grows out and it will never have edible fruit on it. So uh, let's just go under the assumption that this uh, that this is still indeed uh, a lime tree and I would be fertilizing it at least once a month or so. Uh, at this point, since it's been neglected to some extent, I'd probably use a liquid like grow or something and I'd be feeding it every couple of weeks Uh, In the spring, I'll probably put on some dry fertilizer along with the liquid. And if, well, probably when, not if, but when we get uh, some chilly weather, even 32 degrees can harm a lime tree. So do be prepared to cover it uh, if we end up with a winter. Right now, it's hard to believe we're ever going to have cold weather, but I saw 24 degrees in Wyoming a couple of weeks ago. So it's uh it's coming we just don't know when but the the wonderful thing about limes and, and you say you the tag is still on there does it say key lime or mexican lime does it give you an, an indication what kind of lime it is
0: Well it does uh, but I took the tag off and
2: it's in the garage and unfortunately <laughs> I'm not at home Okay. right now Well here's um, here's just the information I wanted to give you Most commonly grown limes are these little things we call key limes or mexican limes and the beauty of that plant is it can bloom any time and it can have fruit any time. So you got your little margarita tree out there that you can harvest from probably 10 months out of the year once it gets going. The other limes, the bigger limes, we call them Persian limes, they're going to be more like lemons or grapefruits or oranges. They bloom principally once in the spring and then they have ripe fruit in the fall months. But I'd say probably 19 out of 20 limes sold are the little key limes. And uh, you, if you like lime juice, and who doesn't, uh, you have a lot to look forward to. But I'd, I'd be feeding it really regularly. Certainly be prepared to cover it when it gets cooler this winter. And if you see any sprouts coming off near the base of the plant, cut them off immediately. Because that would be the rootstocks trying to sprout out. The rootstock is always stronger, and if you don't cut off any sprouts that come out of it, eventually they will dominate and you will lose the grafted part of the tree.
0: That's good to know. And you jogged my memory. I believe it is a Persian lime. That sounds familiar. I know I'm familiar with key limes, and I know it's not a key lime.
2: Okay. Then uh, what you're going to look for is flowers principally, Oh, mid to late February, maybe even into March, you'll get, of course, much bigger limes, and they will be ripening long about September or October. And uh, so next time you, it, if you, when you get used to protecting this lime, well, plant it a little key lime. As long as you're going to have to protect something, you might as well get some of those juicy little uh, uh, year-round producing limes as well.
0: Right. Now, it would not benefit it to uproot it and transplant it over in the sunnier part of the yard.
2: Um, let's wait till the severe heat passes. I think in November that would probably be a good idea. Um, and ask yourself if you're a man that travels, if you, you know, are out of town very often in the, in the winter months, always think of. Old Coach Popovich, who buys fresh lemon trees every year because he goes out on a road trip and everything freezes on him while he's out of town. You could, if if you're not going to be home regularly to protect it every time we have uh, freezing weather, you could actually dig it up, put it in a big pot, and that gives you the option of uh, moving it in and out when we do get into severe winter weather. So it uh, sounds like it hadn't been in the ground very long, if that tag's still on it especially, so or was on it. So uh, I, I would say you could do either. Either put it in a pot or move it to a sunnier part of the yard. But let's wait until we get at least out of the 90s, even out of the 80s, before we dig it up and stress it that way.
0: All right, Bob, I know you're up against it time-wise here, but I just wanted to follow up on that real quick. The sunny part of the yard is where the aerobic uh, septic will that have an effect on it in a negative way
2: well it will i mean there's no danger of any contamination as it were uh, but as i'm sure you've discovered uh you wind up putting a lot of chlorine into an aerobic system and chlorine is damaging to plants not so bad on grass but it's pretty hard on shrubs and things like that so uh i would try to put it on the periphery of that area at the very least because if it uh, you know, chlorine kind of is a cumulative thing. It's just like swimming pool water will eventually do some damage if we get splashed on plants around the pool. That highly chlorinated water coming out of your aerobic system uh, is going to be not real good for any shrubs and trees.
0: Right, and the grass in that area is fairly brown compared to the rest of the yard, so I should probably fertilize it more.
2: Um fertilize it more and of course, you know, in Fair Oaks we're you're as limited as water as we are. I don't know. You know, in Fair Oaks you might be in Kendall County, Comal County, or Bear County, but um Kendall. in Kendall. Okay. And so yeah. so so I'm your regulator. I'm on the groundwater district up there, but um when you can if we don't get good rain, it's sometimes good to water uh, even though you're using well water or maybe one of these days you put in some rainwater catchment just to kind of dilute down uh, some of the things that are that are being sprayed on. Uh, There's nothing wrong with the water out of the septic tank. It's just they uh, require you to put so much chlorine in there that can cause a bit of a problem. And just uh, as, as some of the engineers say, the answer to pollution is dilution. So if you can dilute down that effect a little bit, uh, your grass will be greener. Typically, in the summer months, it's going to be the greenest part of your yard because it's going to get more water than anything anything else out there.
0: All right. All right, Bob. I really appreciate the information, as always. Thank you so well, much. Well,
2: it's always a pleasure. And do keep in mind, you guys are overrun with deer out there. So wherever oh, yeah. you plant your uh, citrus, the deer is sure going to want to get after them. So be sure it's uh, in a fenced area. Okay. Will do. Thank you. My pleasure, Tim. Thank you, sir. Thank <laughs> you, all right, let's get back to gardening and uh James is up next. Good morning, James. Good morning. Morning, sir. I have a just a couple of questions for you. What I'm here for. Okay.
9: If uh knockout roses and a Confederate jasmine, will they will they survive being transplanted to another part of the yard?
2: Um did you say knockout roses and confederate jasmine? Yes sir. Okay. Um yes, they can certainly be transplanted. I would give it a couple more weeks until it gets just a little bit cooler, but here's the thing on knockouts or any other roses out there, a rose plant's root system can never get dry. If that root system dries out, the plant's totally dead. It's just not going to come back. So in in transplanting knockouts, you have that new hole dug and ready you dig the plants out of where they are uh uh growing now and replant them put the soil back in water them in thoroughly there's no stopping for a beer along the way you got to you got to do it just you very quickly because uh it's just destructive to them to dry out if for some reason you can't put them back in the ground immediately um, go buy a nursery. Most nurseries will give you some of their old empty plastic containers. Dig those knockouts up, put them in a container, fill the soil in, water them in thoroughly, and you can hold them that way for weeks if you need to, but the secret on roses is just never, ever let the root system get dry. Uh, Confederate jasmine, is are these relatively new plants or are big old plants with vines that just go everywhere?
9: Uh, they're, they've grown up a trellis. They've both been there for about Uh, two or three years at least.
2: Okay. You can certainly transplant them. Of course, uh, you're wasting your time really to try to unwind those vines off the trellis. You'll end up spending an hour trying to undo it, and then you're going to break a vine anyway. Um, Again, if you wait until we're more definitively into the dormant season, uh, you just cut the vine back. Hopefully, it will still have some foliage on it, and uh, again, move it to its new home. Uh, again, the root system shouldn't dry out, but it's not quite as critical as it is on roses. Put them in their new home. Water them in some Garrett Juice, some Super Thrive, something like that. And uh, Confederate Jasmine is very transplantable as well.
9: Will it do good in a in a heavy sun area?
2: Oh, absolutely. The more sun, the okay, more flowers. And both in a, okay, on both great. plants, the roses and the jasmine will give you by far your best blooming if they get just full blazing afternoon sun. Uh, the one thing that i've discovered the hard way about uh, knockout roses is they literally have to be watered about three times as often as many of your other roses especially your so-called heirloom or old-fashioned roses the knockouts treat them like you do other roses that fold up and die on you so be prepared to give them plenty of moisture and of course, the more sun a plant gets, the more water it's going to use. The more water it's going to transpire out through its leaves. So, uh, uh, yeah, they both love sun. Uh, they both should do extremely well for you. But uh, uh, wait till it cools off a little bit before you you do this move, if you can.
9: Okay. So the last question is probably kind of silly. So I apologize in advance. <laughs> oh, no
2: such thing. <laughs> I've,
9: I've had some supposed some supposed uh, landscaping and tree experts tell me tell me something I just want to confirm it with you. Um, I have a my house is about seventeen years old so the oak tree that I have in the backyard the oak trees I should say I have are somewhat mature I guess
7: uh-huh uh,
9: they're about about as old as the house uh, There are a couple of places where I'm wanting to put down like a a stepstone patio sure uh, but either because the uh, the surface of the, uh, the, the the soil is either eroded away or I don't know if the tree roots actually grow up but there are some spots where I've got tree roots that are arching up above the dirt. Mm-hmm uh, maybe about a foot to two foot in, in length. Okay. Um, and so my thought was to dig that out a little bit, get a saw and cut that piece of root out.
2: How and big in how big I in diameter is going die? Yeah. How big in diameter are these roots?
9: Uh, the roots themselves, uh, six, eight inches, maybe some of them four, anywhere from four to eight inches around.
2: Okay. Um, roots don't in effect grow up out of the ground, but the the top of a root grows as much as the bottom of a root grows. So right. if a, as a tree root grows, it's going to project further and further up out of the soil. And um, when you get roots that big, you're, you know, it's like I could say to you, you don't need all 10 fingers. Cut off three or four of them if they're in the way. Uh, it's not a real, not something you really want to do if you can avoid And uh, it it definitely is going to set the roots back. It's probably, here's what my arborist friends tell me as far as cutting roots. And uh, because, you know, so often you may have somebody have to dig a trench, the reasons that roots get cut. But um, they tell me that what you need to do is, uh, if you take the diameter of the tree in inches and convert that into feet and probably multiply it by two uh, then that's how far away from the trunk you need to stay. If these oak trees are, uh, I'm sorry, divide by two. If these oak trees are 12 inches in diameter, uh, we'll then take half of 12 feet, that's 6 feet, and that's how far out you should never touch the roots. If these trees are 18 inches in diameter, 9 feet out is how far you should stay away from them. So if it's my yard and these oak trees are val- valuable to me, Rather than do a, you know, a a flagstone patio or, you know, concrete paver patio or things like that, I would think about, you know, actually framing and building a deck, as it were, which is probably going to be more functional and long term, it's going to be a lot easier to maintain because even if you were to take those roots out and the tree survived, five, ten years down the road, it's going to be growing plenty of new roots, and they're going to be pushing your pavers up out of the ground. It's going to be getting very, you know, unlevel, whereas yes. if you were to, uh, and, and there you know, there are lots of things uh, I can tell you about, a kind of wood that never rots that you can build a wooden deck out of. Um, a lot of people go with this Trex, which is a synthetic wood, but you could create probably a more functional patio area for yourself and your family with a raised deck than you would with something at ground level, and uh, you make that deck like two steps up, like 12 inches above the ground, and you're set for the next 15 years before you have to worry about what those roots do. I don't know if that's practical in your situation, but that's how I would solve the problem in my yard.
9: Well, it's it's definitely something that I've considered, you know, build, building it up and putting like a deck or something like that. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, I did have a a concrete patio extended but mm-hmm. i extended it only to a certain point right because those roots were there and i didn't want to have to mess with those tree roots yeah so to go from the edge of that concrete patio to the corner of the house the area that i need that i want covered it's either build something up put some more topsoil in there and get it up above the level of the roots or chop that little 1 foot section of root off yeah and uh leave it but uh Everybody keeps telling me, no, my tree's going to die.
2: Well, your tree's probably not going to die, but cutting the root out is a very temporary fix because as long as that tree is alive, it's going to grow new roots and uh, probably with even more vigor. So you're just putting off a problem into the future and never, ever put a solid concrete patio over the root system of a tree. A tree does not grow roots, you know, under a slab. It does not grow roots, um, you know, under a patio. Uh, because there's nothing for the roots underneath there as far as oxygen and water and everything else. Mm-hmm. But if you put your concrete on top roots that are already there, those roots are going to continue to grow, and they're going to bust the heck out of any solid structure that you put on top of it. So okay. that's why I'm much more in favor of uh, pavers or flagstone. But you've already got a bunch of roots up on the surface of the ground. So yeah.
9: uh, Well, the, the, tree, the tree itself is probably about 10 to 12 feet at the most away from the back of the house. Yeah. And so, the root that 's popping up is growing t- is is grown towards the foundation, and it 's yeah. probably right smack in the middle it 's about six feet between a house and a tree yeah
2: and don 't worry about your foundation your The edge of your foundation has what 's called a grade beam, which is just a concrete support beam that goes further down into the ground, and those roots will grow up to that beam and stop they will branch and grow along it so i'm i 'm not concerned about it doing any damage to your home. But uh, whatever you put on top of those roots, whether you cut out the currently offending one or not, a little ways down the road, you're going to be facing the same problem over and over. So, uh, uh, you know, drive around and look. Dig out, you know, a few gardening magazines and, you know, do-it-yourself pictures. You can build something prettier than anything you're going to see in a book or a magazine. And, uh, you know, the the possibilities with decks are just absolutely amazing. So, uh, I, were at mine, um, I, I'm going to be building slightly above grade level than trying to do something about those roots because those roots are just going to continue to grow and be an ongoing problem, even if you were to take out that one root. And, no, I don't think you're going to kill your tree, but, you know, I'm going to set it back a little bit. Let me tell you this, too, with, with oak trees, if you do decide to cut some roots... That open wound on a root is no different than a wound on the tree itself. That can be a source of oak wilt getting established in the tree. So when okay. we cut roots, unless we are refilling uh, the trench, you know, literally within an hour or two, we're going to use pruning paint on the roots just like we would on a wound above ground level.
9: Gotcha. Well the wooden deck sounds like the better idea. I was just more curious than anything, and that's why I call you, because you got the right answer.
2: Well, I appreciate it. If you if you do decide to go with wood, um it's gonna be a little bit more expensive, but I wish you would look at a wood product called Eco ECO, Eco Vantage. Uh it is a process that was developed in Finland back in nineteen thirty nine where the wood is super kill dried and they've had this wood in ground contact for over thirty years with zero rotting. It is much more durable than uh, the so-called treated wood. Bless it, doesn't turn into a pretzel. I've got two by fours and two by sixes. Uh, I've moved them in, into my barn now, but they set out in the sun for three or four months while I was building on my greenhouse. They're straight as an arrow. And if you've done any work with treated woods, you you know it doesn't yeah. stay straight for 24 hours. But uh, Google Eco Vantage wood if you need more information on that, give me a call. Um, the other thing that is you know very durable yeah. is the uh, our products like the Trex and some of these synthetic materials that are made with uh, plastic plus wood fiber. Uh, so there are lots of options out there, and with a little creativity, I mean you could build a. You know a, uh, a lily pond into that. You could, you know, build in a little despairing waterfall in the corner. You can, you can make a, uh, uh, you know, a deck that'd be pretty enough to get into southern living with little creativity. So uh, enjoy the project. Okay, thank you. You Have a good day. You too, James. Thanks for the call. Okay. All right, let's get back to gardening. And first up is going to be Jerry. Good morning, Jerry. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. You taking my call? My pleasure.
10: Um, uh, I've got a small orchard that I'm starting. It's uh-huh. about 120 feet by 60 feet or 70 feet, maybe. Okay. About, if I'm planting peaches and maybe a little fruit tree, or, uh, citrus trees, how far apart would I need to put them?
2: Um, peaches, I'd be planting them probably 15 feet on center. I'd be doing the same with your citrus. Now, what kind of citrus are you thinking of growing?
10: Um, I've got some uh, Satsuma, uh, lemon, Meyer lemon, and a uh, tangerine.
2: Okay, those so are good, all. I think it is. Yeah, those are all going to be fine. Fifteen foot centers. If you go in something like the little cum uh, kumquats, you go a lot closer, like even eight to ten foot centers. But uh, what you're looking at at maturity are are fairly good sized trees. So uh, I'm going to be thinking fifteen foot centers on them.
10: Okay, I've got a June Gold, a couple of June Golds actually, and for some reason. I put them in about April of this last spring, and they're starting to bloom. They've got two or three little blooms on each one of them.
2: <laughs> they're just confused. Just, yeah, those yes, sir. Yes, sir. those plants haven't been in Texas very long. They came out of California or somewhere. Uh, they should be back, you know, to a normal bloom schedule next year. Whereabouts are you located, Jerry?
10: I'm in Pleasanton. I'm sorry. I forgot to tell you that. And okay. I got them from Mr. Curry down down in Three Rivers.
2: Yeah, Wayne is Wayne's a good guy, but... Be real careful. June gold is, the uh, best of my recollection, about a 650 or 700-hour peach, and you're pushing it. And Pleasanton, it. Uh, a 550, 600 is going to be a better peach choice for you. So I'm going to be looking at uh, La Feliciana, John Fannick, uh, Sam Houston, uh, some slightly lower chilling peaches because some years you may not get enough cold weather to get your June gold to, to bloom well for you. So that, that's the thing about peaches. You've got to match your average number of chilling hours with the peach variety. So it's good to have some variety. But uh, you, you if I were you, I'd be dropping the chilling hours back a little bit on the varieties I'm planting.
10: Yes, sir. I do have two Felicianas, and I wanted to get two Sam Houston's also. Yeah,
2: Sam Houston and John Fannix. another real good one that'll fit in that mix as well.
10: Okay. One other question It's off-topic, too. Um, I've got a little place, 40 acres, and I've got a little pond out in the back, uh-huh. corner of it. I found a dead armadillo in it the other day, okay. and it looked like it had been in there about three, maybe four days. It had swole- swelled up and was smelling mm-hmm. flies real bad. Uh, I got it out. Uh, I've got some cows that drink out of that water. Oh,
2: no worries. Right. No worries.
10: Okay. Okay. If it would have been deteriorated even worse, would it have been? I mean, I under, I'm thinking probably so.
2: But. If a tiny little pond, yes. But, you know, a pond that's any size at all, not an issue. We're going to talk to Carolyn and Steve and Leo and Pam. And Carolyn is up first. Good morning, Carolyn.
8: Okay. Good morning from hot and dry Fort
7: Worth.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I talked to Howard yesterday, and uh, indeed, you are. Maybe not quite as hot, maybe not quite as dry as we are, but y'all need uh, y'all need fall to arrive with some good rains, just like we do.
8: Right. Okay. I've got several questions that some of them I could put off, but this one I can't. Okay. I haven't. I have several Nellie R. Stevens hot. Hollies that's been have been in the ground about ten years probably. Okay. And uh, one of them in my flower bed on the west side by the driveway, it I looked and it looked kind of bad. So I I went and looked and the 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 little berries on it are all wrinkled. Uh-huh. And I scratched the bark and it was okay. And the leaves don't look real great. I mean, they just don't look real healthy like the other three. So I made sure and I, the root flare was fairly uncovered, I mean it wasn't all buried. I had some some of it uncovered. And uh and then I uh I watered it good and put super thrive on it, but it didn't look too great and it's the bark is still green and I'm wondering how can I keep that thing from dying.
2: Well, you've obviously, you know, you've got a root problem, the berry shriveling, the Um, the foliage just not looking good. I have to tell you when I've seen this on big hollies, whether they were Yopon or Nellie Stevens or, um, others, often it's from staying too wet rather than getting too dry. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, sometimes it turns out to be a little break in a water line. Sometimes it turns out to be something that is, uh, you know just planted in a a clay bowl that just is not draining um it's would be unusual these these plants have been in there for quite a while haven't they
8: oh yes yes and and i had one look kind of wilted one morning in the back that did was planted after i had the water sprinkler mm-hmm. system put in so it didn't have anything and i'm going ooh i haven't been watering that And I watered it and it just perked right up. It looks great. Yeah. But this one does not look great and I didn't want to overwater it. Sure. But I want to put some more Super Thrive if that's going to help it, you know, but I don't know what to do.
2: Yeah, I I think it would help. Here's the thing that I always tell people about water there is no such thing as too much, Mm -hmm. but there is too often. Right,
8: and that wasn't getting it too often because I was. You know, I just don't think it was getting deep water from the sprinkler system. I don't think that was getting deep water.
2: If you were to look Mm -hmm. real closely at the bark on this uh, Nellie Stevens Holly, um, Mm -hmm. is the bark smooth or is the bark kind of looking a little shriveled and wrinkled?
8: I think it's smooth. I'm going (laughs) to walk right out of the front door and look and get to another question. I've got a... um, uh, a key for pear that I've had in in for five or so years, and it's always never made that many pears, but they've all been good mm-hmm. and this year they've got brown spots, rotten spots in them and it's the, and it's made probably a thousand pears. Mm-hmm. I mean it's gone crazy this year, and i, I know that when i the roof flare is uncovered and all
7: yep.
2: that stuff yep. i don't uh
8: I don't know why I'm getting these rotten spots on it.
2: It probably is weather related. Um, mm-hmm. and you may have even had, you know, when you didn't even know it, a little bit of tiny hail or something bruised a bunch of the pears. Y'all have had some pretty good thunderstorms yeah. move through that area.
8: Uh, yeah, but I haven't had any hail this year. No, nope. okay. no
2: hail. Um, I would, you know, moving forward, there's not a lot you can do about it. Uh, Kiefer, of course, is a hard pear. Uh, mm-hmm. I would think about going ahead and picking the pears and simply trimming out the bad spots. If you're making chutney, my grandfather used to do just preserve pears and mm-hmm. a heavy syrup. Uh, I'm just going to trim around any bad spots in there. Next year, I'm going to make two or three cover sprayings of that pear. Uh, either with garlic, which sets up a sort of an antifungal barrier on the surface of the fruit, or with you know okay. the corn water tea uh cornmeal soaked in mm-hmm. water, and that trichoderma does something of the same, doing both would certainly not be a problem but um mm-hmm. it's uh, it's more than just a blemish. And, uh, but I think you can probably prevent it next time around. And I love garlic as a preventive spray for all kinds of fungal problems. And the way it works, it simply, uh, promotes the growth of so many good fungi. The bad guys don't have a chance to get in, but I don't think it's an inherent problem with the tree. I think it's a problem that for whatever reason, uh, uh, Whether something in the environment just has made your kefir more susceptible to it this year. And it's probably going to go okay. away on its own, but just to be safe, try a cover spraying or two with uh, garlic uh, as the new pears are starting to form and I think you'll have a more con- uniform, uh, uniformly good crop next time around.
7: Okay,
8: back to the tree. Yeah. Uh, the bark is smooth to, you know, about three feet mm-hmm. down at the bottom. There's some little cracks in the bark, but, um, it looks like the others, but, but the small branches, are, I can tell they're going to die. They're green, but they don't look real healthy. But the no. big branches look pretty healthy, the ones going up. But the leaves don't look healthy. And, okay. uh, of course, the berries don't look healthy.
7: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, uh, the splits in the in the bark down at the base concern me mm-hmm. a bit. Um, now, sometimes okay. when a when a, a trunk is growing you know quickly it just simply grows so fast it splits the bark but mm-hmm. sometimes it can be an unhealthy split which is uh, a real sign of of a root issue um i'm going to tell you you know hit it with the super thrive hit it with some garret juice uh in addition to watering you know spray foliage over the branches and over the you know over the plant itself but here here's one of my biggest concerns when the root system has been damaged it reduces the plant's ability to take up and use moisture So, you're going to need to feel the soil. You're going to need to be careful that you're not watering until that soil has dried to the proper point. And if in the past you've been watering, needing to water, say, every five days, if that root system is compromised, it may be 10 days between waterings. But we don't want to overcompensate because while that root system's damaged, it's not going to be able to use the water and dry the soil out as quickly as it usually does. So... Do what you're talking about, and let's talk again in two or three weeks and see how things are looking.
11: Yeah, it just looks
8: worse every day, and and the splits, you know, they don't look like real good. It's just a rough splits. Yep. You know, like little cracks, and uh, I don't think it's been getting too much water. Mm-hmm. I that I don't think. I think I think I, if anything, I wasn't watering it enough, but the others. You know aren't doing that, so well, I if can it's go ahead and put the super thrive right, yeah. I can put it without, but I didn't want to water too much because I watered it real good yesterday, yep, so we um, just
2: we'll spray your super thrive on the foliage, it'll absorb a great deal directly oh, through a foliar will. spray, probably more than it will through its compromised roots,
8: oh okay, so even though the leaves look pretty bad the the on the smooth bark, it should absorb the super exactly dry. exactly, okay, I'll do that, and then the pears, I'll wait till next year and do that and then my um uh, then I have some knees from a uh, neighbor behind me has a huge cypress tree, it's mm-hmm. probably hundred and fifty feet tall Oh, wow and last year, I started getting it's a gorgeous tree I started getting one one um uh, knee in my garden right mm-hmm. in the middle of my garden. And so it just got, it's getting bigger and bigger. And then I saw another small knee forming this week. Man, I need to get rid of them.
2: Yeah, Mm -hmm. chop them out. Just get your grub and hoe and chop them out. That is the cypress tree's way of getting oxygen to its root system. And interestingly Mm -hmm. enough, you may have a knee that's you know, sticks up 18 inches above the ground, looks like an enormous uh, projection. But when you dig down, it's got two little, you know, roots coming into it the the size of your little finger uh you're not going to hurt the tree at all by taking those out and it's going to be much less of a job than you think it's going to be
8: okay and uh i don't know what's wrong with my green peppers they finally started making and i've got tons of them on there but the leaves are kind of curled and not you know limp looking they just don't look like healthy leaves on a plant well it's getting to be
2: uh, october too It's (laughs) it's the end of the season on peppers but Uh, put a little super thrive Uh, and Garrett juice on those while you're doing your holly
8: okay thank you very much
2: carolyn it's good to talk to you thank you
8: okay Mm -hmm. thanks
2: certainly Mm bye Mm All right. Hey, let me give you the phone number for this uh, event coming up a week from this next Friday. going to be October 11th. I got that. Grab that number. It is 210-802-1860. That's local area code 802-1860. If you'd like to make reservations or find out more about this uh, great event down at Farm Table, uh, you give that number a call, and we'll talk more about that a little bit later. We're going to talk to Leo and Johnny. I actually have two open phone lines. so If you've been getting a busy signal, great time to dial 210-599-5555. Well, I say good morning, Leo. Good morning, Bob. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you for calling. Uh, I came across a large number of... Of
9: a little package of seeds, vegetable seeds,
2: Mm -hmm.
9: and it's the little package is to sell before uh, December of
12: 2018. Okay, are they are they any good?
2: Oh yeah, oh yeah, it's seeds. I mean, you can store seeds if you do it properly, which means inside of a glass jar in a refrigerator, you can store most seeds for 10 to 20 years. Where these have not been in such ideal conditions. Um, where you, you know, had you planted them before December of 2018, you'd probably have 98% germination. If you plant them this season, you may be down to only about 80% germination. But, you know, as I was telling folks in our seminar yesterday, most of these things, you're going to have to thin them out anyway, because, uh, they, they come up so close together. So yeah, these, uh, uh, these seeds are perhaps not you know, close to 100% like they were last year, but 80, 85%, I, you know, I I think you'd be fine planting them. Now, that's assuming they haven't been sitting out where it's 140 degrees or something like that. But uh, if they've been in a closet, if they've been, you know, just about anywhere, uh, um, they're still going to be very, very viable for you.
9: Okay, uh, would freezing, uh, putting in the freezer would be better than... No, no,
2: not in the freezer, not in the freezer, in the refrigerator. And our modern refrigerators are so low humidity uh, that they tend to dry out the seed. So uh, any seed that you're not using, or if it's going to be a little while before you can use this seed, just take an old mason jar or any kind of uh, jar with a lid that will seal, put your seed packages down in there... (laughs) Thinking of my own refrigerator, I probably have more vegetable seed than I do food in the refrigerator, but you can keep it in the refrigerator for several years that way, but not in the freezer, just uh just in the cooler part of the fridge.
9: A little plastic bag, a freezer bag wouldn't work as good or not?
2: Would not work as well as a jar. It would certainly be better than nothing. But uh let me tell you what a freezer bag, a freezer ziploc is. Um, they're not tougher, they're not harder, they're not stronger, but they don't, uh, give off the chemicals. An ordinary, uh, plastic bag in the freezer may put some chemicals into the food that you would not want to be consuming. Uh, when you get what they you'd call them freezer bags, uh, they just simply are made a little differently so you don't have to worry about that chemical contamination. But they're not any stronger or any better or anything like that. Uh, I mean, if it's an empty peanut butter jar if it's an empty pickle jar. It's not something you have to go out and buy but just a, any any glass or plastic jar with a sealable lid is going to be better than uh, than a bag.
13: Okay. Sounds good. Thank you, Bob. Appreciate your help. Good
2: question. Good call, Leo. Thank mm-hmm. you, sir. Bye. No. All right. Uh, Johnny's up next and it'll be Brittany and Victor right now. Good morning, Johnny. Hey, Bob. How are you doing this morning? Uh, it's Just a great morning out there. How about you? It's lovely.
12: Hey, I got a seven-year-old uh, live oak tree. Okay. I planted it about two years ago. And uh, this last summer, uh, I had web worms in it on the top part of it. Okay. So I took a water hose and I blasted them off, and uh, I seemed to got rid of them, and I, and I was uh, just stepping on all of them in the ground. <laughs> uh, and uh, – The leaves started growing back on the branches, you know, that have eaten out. Uh Uh-huh. And, uh, uh, you know, the leaves were like a little uh, lighter green color than the bottom ones, you know, the deep green.
7: Right. And
12: uh, yesterday morning, I was going to work, and uh, I seen a limb full of them baby little webworms on it. Uh Uh-huh. So I I clipped the the limbs off, you know, with them and threw them in the trash. But I noticed... uh, on the on the leaves, they have little, like, uh, maybe from a quarter inch to three-eighths diameter little balls of fur.
2: Mm-hmm.
12: I wonder what they are.
2: Well, they're really re- eggs
12: of any kind.
2: Yeah, they're not really eggs, but uh, they're probably a little gall, in effect. It's really harmless to the tree. Um, the caterpillars are a nuisance, uh, and, you know, what happens, a moth flies in and lays the egg, and that's where the caterpillars come from. It tells me okay. that your tree may be a little stressed. I would start digging around the base of that tree. Most trees are sold that are buried too deeply in the pots, and then we end up sometimes burying them even deeper. You need to pull the soil back away from the base of that tree until you get down to where you see those major roots flaring out. If there are you know, any little fibrous roots or anything, go ahead and cut those away. But exposing that, and I say we should call it the trunk flare, but nobody does. We call it the root flare. But that place where the trunk starts to broaden out where you see the, the big roots uh, or what will be the right. big roots starting out, it's really, really important that that be exposed to air. Now, hopefully you're not going to have to go more than two or three or four inches. Uh have an arborist right. friend that they were exposing the root flare on a pecan tree, uh, You know, just north of Alamo Heights, they went down six feet before they found the root flare because that dated to the time that the builder came in and leveled the lot and all that. These are new trees that you've planted and they were, like I say, probably too deep in the pot when you got them. So expose that root flare and your tree will become less attractive to the webworms in the future and that that problem with uh, uh, the foliage being a little lighter colors, you know, that that should go away. That should not be an ongoing issue.
12: See, after uh, after the the tree stable, after I planted it right in, the, it got the roots in the ground and everything, mm-hmm. I put mulch around it.
2: Mulch is fine over the Did roots. not up. take it off? Uh, not up, well, you don't want mulch up against the trunk, but out over the root system, no, it's I, really I put good.
12: a plastic barrier around the trunk and then no. put mulch around it.
2: Yeah. As long as you've got air circulating around the trunk, you're fine, but you do need okay. to dig down and be sure that it's open all the way down to the root flare.
12: Okay. Well I had put a uh, dirt on it too, you know, before I put the mm-hmm. the 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 mulch because uh, you know I planted little flowers around it. Yeah, yeah. But uh that's fine o- dead now so it doesn't matter.
2: Yeah, that's fine over the roots, but that's not fine against the trunk. Uh sometimes okay. people will build up a okay. raised bed and that's okay, but I tell them make it like a donut. I wanna see a ring around the trunk that's holding the soil back away from the trunk. Uh, and then an outer ring to hold the soil in off the grass. But that trunk, right. the trunk is breathing, literally, and you're suffocating right. it if anything is on that trunk up above the root flare. Okay,
12: okay. Uh, thank you. You have a nice day. Well,
2: let me tell you one other thing, too, Johnny, or one or two okay. other things. Where If you ever see the, uh, the webs forming in any kind of tree, and it's much more common in ash trees and things than it is in oaks, Usually, all you need to do is take a, a pole or something and just break that web open because the yellow jackets, the paper wasps that uh, hopefully we all have, at least some of around the yard, they kill and eat those web worms. And if you just bust the web open to where they can get in there, they'll generally come in and clean out the caterpillars for you. Okay. And one other thing to know. Where, and, and you're just like everybody else. You see a limb that's got a whole bunch of little caterpillars on it, and sometimes the easiest thing is just to go snip it off. Well, if it's on a red oak or on a live oak, you need to seal that wound because any open wound, even if it's the size of a pencil, uh, that could yeah. potentially be a place that your tree could get oak wilt. So snipping it off is fine, but just be sure you seal the wound after you do so. Okay. Uh, what do we them with? Any kind of paint. I mean, uh, it needs to stay sealed for 10 days. You could use your girlfriend's nail polish. You could use, uh, you know, lacquer. You can use just any kind of spray paint you got sitting in your shop. You can go out and buy pruning paint if you need to, but it's really no better than just uh, latex spray paint. just needs to be something that seals that wound for about 10 days. Because there's a little okay. beetle called a nitty doodle beetle that's attracted to the sap that forms on a wound like that, and that little beetle's the guy that's carrying the oak wilt spores around potentially. Right. So we just got to keep it yeah. uh, unattractive to the bugs for about ten days, and then it'll just heal itself and go on.
12: Also, uh, what are those knots on them on, on limbs? You know, about half inch. Some of them are a little smaller.
2: Um, Big if girl. it's, if it's on a leaf, it is probably a little gall from something called a cynipid wasp. And that's what opens out to make that kind of furry look that you're talking about. If oh, it's on, okay. if it's on the limb itself, it is probably a bacterial gall, which is just a stress issue. You get that root flare exposed and chances are, uh, You know the ones that are there will gradually the tree will outgrow them, but you probably won't get any more of them. It's just you're looking at some different stress issues on that tree, and I think uh, getting the root flare exposed is the number one thing you can do to relieve that stress.
12: Okay, all right, then thank you.
2: Always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. All right, back to gardening you will be Brittany Ross, Victor uh, Victor I'm sorry, Brittany Re uh, Victor Reeves and Janie. Brittany, Victor, Reeves, and Janie. Read it off the phone here a little easier. Uh good morning, Brittany.
12: Good morning. How are you this morning?
2: I'm just great. I hope you are too.
12: I am. I have a question for you. We have some uh citrus trees and um they are developing some sort of um I don't know if it's like a fungal infection or uh, something but they kind of have like a white scaly um, feeling and you can kind of
2: kind of sticky touch it
12: and it falls off on your on your fingers. Yeah. It's and actually a they've actually killed some of our some of the stems
5: are, are dead.
2: Yep. Also. That's not a disease, that's a bug. That's probably okay. citrus scale. If you will okay. get at a nursery there is a product you can buy which is called spinosad soap, S P I N O S A D. It will kill um, this scale problem, usually with one spraying. Now, the bugs don't fall off. Uh, They're going to stay in place even after they're dead. But if you were to take and run your finger up and down the stem now, it would feel kind of juicy. You'd get some bug guts on you, so to speak. That sounds disgusting. But uh, once you have killed them, if you were to run your finger up and down the stem a week later, it's just going to be dry and flakes off. Uh, This is a very common problem on citrus The spinosad soap is totally safe for you and your pets and your family, but uh, it will kill the bugs. Uh, If you have any fruit on there, it's not going to hurt the fruit at all. You can just wash it off. So um, it's a problem, but it's a very easy problem to solve.
13: Okay, perfect. Well, we will uh, go ahead and try that then. Thank you so much. And
2: let me tell you, two ways you can buy spinosad soap. You can buy it in a little ready-to-use sprayer that basically you just turn the nozzle and start squeezing. If you have a lot to do, it's now available in a concentrate that you can mix yourself. My guess is that that little one-quart bottle, um, that's going to take care of, you know, 10, 15, 20 trees. So that's probably all you need to buy.
11: Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much uh,
12: for the information. I really appreciate it, as always.
2: My pleasure, Brittany. Appreciate the call this morning. And uh, I will move on and talk to Victor. Good morning, Victor. Yeah,
14: bug juice. (laughs)
7: Uh,
14: (laughs) But I think you might have answered my question, too, because uh, I was calling about, I had this uh, hibiscus uh, plant uh, last year Mm -hmm. uh, that it froze, and so in the spring, I dug it out, and I put a new one in its place, and I put the old one in the container that the new one came in, and lo and behold, the old one came back. Sure. And just on its own, right? uh but not you know so i started watering it and they got about i don't know six ten inches tall and then i noticed that the leaves are, are being
7: chewed uh-huh.
14: and then i thought well okay there's a real healthy uh esperanza plant right next to it there's another oleander plant not next to it and, but none of those leaves are being attacked
2: okay and okay somebody puts ahead. four plates in front of you one of them has uh Uh, prime rib on it, and the other has tofu. Which one are you going to eat? (laughs) I
14: thought thought bugs
2: didn't have any. Oh, no. They certainly certainly have their preferences, and hibiscus Uh, are, you know, they are very, very tasty to uh, caterpillars. Mm -hmm. They're very tasty to grasshoppers. Fortunately, it's just physical damage um, yeah. and fortunately, very few hibiscus are grafted. I can't say none of them are grafted, but virtually none of them are grafted. So the okay. one that comes back from the base of the plant is just the same as the plant you originally have. So, uh, you know, you've just got two hibiscus instead of one now. Um, if the damage isn't, you know, too significant, I would just ignore it. Uh the other thing you might do is go out uh with a flashlight at night. This is a big old hairy black caterpillar called a woolly bear is the one mm-hmm. that we most commonly see. We occasionally see one that's kind of beigey colored but in both cases they are much more active at night than they are during the day. You go out with a flashlight uh you'll probably find the guy that's doing the chewing on there <laughs> since you're a guy with a sense yeah, of humor. Well, I'll tell you about I had an employee one time who would throw them down step out them and say you won't have the guts to do that again but uh right. this if it's grasshoppers they're going to go away and if the damage is not too significant i'm not really going to worry about it but uh i think you learned your lesson you're going to have to protect both of those hibiscus plants uh when we get cold this winter
14: right well and then how come they don't attack the other hibiscus plant i mean it's about 50 feet away on the around the the side of the house, and that one seems to be, I say healthy, because the, the leaves are still, you know, look pretty decent on mm-hmm. a little bit curled up from the from the heat and whatnot. Okay. But how come they don't eat that one?
2: Well, again, let's use in a little bit of an analogy. Um, this hibiscus that just re-sprouted and started growing Those leaves are new and very tender. Uh, Those leaves on your older hibiscus, they'll eventually get around to eating on those, but those leaves have been on there most of the season. They are quite hard, they are quite tough, and uh, that's kind of the difference in veal and, you know, old stringy grizzly, you know, mature meat on it. So, again, this is just a little bit tastier for them. The Mm -hmm. moth which laid the egg that formed that caterpillar um they they're pretty good at figuring out which is going to be the place that their offspring are most likely uh, to grow okay. and and thrive on and uh you just got nice new young tender tissue on this hibiscus and the old one's just kind of old and tough so uh the new one's going to be the first one they eat but uh eventually uh they may get around to seeing some of them on your bigger plant it's just it's just uh, they're gonna they're going to eat up the young one first
14: Okay. Well, that's why I called the guru because of the infinite <laughs> wisdom
2: that eludes me. Well, you know, you're you're giving I me really appreciate well, you me more way more credit than I deserve. But I've seen a lot of things, and seeing hibiscus get eaten is one of them. So, hey, you get out and have a great weekend, and we'll talk again.
7: Right,
0: thank
2: you very much. Yes, life. sir. Thank you. Right now, we're going to talk with Rees. Good morning, Reese. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Hi. How are you doing? <laughs> just another nice Sunday. Uh, yeah. Got a little rain last night, so nothing like a good rain to put a smile on my yeah, face.
11: Not a soaking rain, you know. It just drizzles that Yeah. All.
2: Now, it's 10 so degrees so cooler, then I'd, I'd just be overjoyed. Right. <laughs> That'll come. Thank you. Well, what's going on in I your have world? a
11: question about firecracker. Mm-hmm. You know, I planted two in my flower bed. Okay. One is doing very good, but on the other one, I noticed the leaves are drying out. It's brown. So Um, I watered them the same amount of water, but what what am I doing wrong here? Are
2: they close together? Is one getting more uh, sun than the other?
11: Could be, you know, I didn't pay attention to that.
2: Okay. Uh The one that is getting the more sun is the one that's Mm -hmm. going to dry out more quickly. Now I have to say with Firecracker, Roselia, whichever name you use on it, mm-hmm. um, they would rather be a little bit on the dry side than they would uh than staying too wet. Staying too wet's really bad oh. on them. Um I would be feeding regularly, has to grow or one of the good liquid fertilizers. And uh just be aware that the one that's in the sun is gonna dry out faster than the one that's in the shade. So be careful that you're not watering too often on the other one. I think it'll come back out. Uh, that is a really tough, beautiful plant. But my guess is, if you go and look, probably the one in the sun is the happier one. The one in the shade's probably been saying just a little too wet.
11: Oh, I get it now. Okay, when you say afternoon shade, what time frame are we looking at?
2: Bob? Well, you know, Rossellia will grow in the absolute full sun, and it probably is happiest in full sun but it is okay if it gets a little bit of uh shade from that you know the hottest period it's just like you and me we're going to suffer between 2 and 4 And if the plants, uh, you know, that's a time they might like a little bit of protection. But uh, firecracker is one of those plants that can take that hot sun. You just have to balance the watering with it and the ones that get more sun just through the process we call transpiration and also the process of photosynthesis. The sunnier plant is always going to use up its water faster and have to be watered a little more frequently.
11: Right, and I'm sure once it gets established, then it'll do fine.
2: Uh, Then you can just pretty much forget about it. It'll just sit there and make you and the hummingbirds happy every day.
11: Right, and another question about my Angelina bougainvillea. Uh It's a beautiful plant. I love the color on it, but something chewed on it, so the blooms and the leaves are gone, most of them.
2: Probably, um, probably Mm -hmm. it's uh, maybe a little caterpillar or two. Okay. And um you can use some BT or some spinosad. either of those things should uh should get the caterpillars under control quickly.
11: All right. Thank you so much, Bob. My pleasure Love always. To good talk to talk. To talk
2: you. Good to talk to you, Reese. Have enjoy a good time. Thank, Thank you. you.
11: You have a wonderful day. You do. Bye.
2: All right. Um yeah, Greg. Oh, okay. Uh got one in there. Hi, we're going to talk to uh, Janie and uh, Kathy and whoever's calling in there online number two. Good morning, Janie.
15: Good morning. Good Bob, morning. It's me again.
2: Uh, it's always good to hear from you. <laughs>
15: well, <laughs> I got a good question for you. Okay. Okay. I know there's ants, okay?
7: Mm-hmm.
15: And I had the little bitty ones. You told me to get some orange oil, put it in a gallon of water.
7: Mm-hmm.
15: So, okay, that did good. Okay, now... What I want to know is about the ants, the little bitty ones and the other one that uh, uh, sting you. Mm -hmm. And I know the other one that takes the leaves to the month, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, I have a bush, and I noticed the limbs were leaning to one side, so I got somebody to help me cut those off and see what's going on he noticed part of it was rotten in the bottom. Uh-huh. He said it looked like some ants got into it. Okay. Now, but I want to know, which ant does that?
2: Well, there are a th- more than a thousand different kinds of ants. And the ones that have gotten into that, uh, into that pitosporum are probably, we call them most commonly carpenter ants. But here's the thing about them. They don't kill anything, but if they find some dead wood, uh, they're going to say, hmm, this would be a good place to build a house. And so they will, you know, they'll start hollowing out and you may get a colony started uh, inside of a stump, inside of a, you know, dead limb on a pitosporum or something Uh, like that. But they, they are not causing the damage on their own now. Shutters on your house, uh you know wood in your garage, yeah, we don 't want them in there, but don 't worry about the carpenter ants you know hurting your plants uh, they They may be building a nest, building a colony there, but they 're not harming the pitisporum, so don 't really worry about it, but all of these ants you can kill with nothing more than just the orange oil and water fire ants. Uh, um, the little sugar ants, which are the non-stinging ones, and carpenter ants. You have to be careful now. Don't make your orange oil too strong, or that could harm your plants. But if you want to wipe out that colony of fire ant or of uh, carpenter ants in your pittosporum, just a little diluted orange oil and water. Spray it around in there, and the ants will be dead in five minutes.
15: Well, I didn't see an ant. Well, I can't see that well. I've lost some of my eyesight, so the person that was doing it he was telling me, but he didn't see no more ants. And now that you're saying that there was a uh, dead roots yep. it was because we didn't have an, any kind of rain, yep. and I didn't really soak that plant that much. Well, and, it, and that's the only thing I can think that happened then.
7: Yeah,
2: it probably, all old pitosporum, all old shrubs are going to have a little bit of dead wood in them. I've got a pitosporum outside my back door. It's probably 80 or 90 years old, and that trunk is probably almost uh, a foot and a half in diameter. But you know there's always going to be some dead wood in a in a big old plant like that. And so it's really perfectly normal to have uh, an ant colony here or there. But they're not what's causing the problem the drought. Yeah, that may be causing a problem. And occasionally we get rats and mice want to eat the bark on pittosporums. But uh, okay. don't lose any sleep over it. And don't let anybody tell you you need to spend a bunch of money taking care of it because you don't. The
15: thing is, uh, my neighbor, too, they had a bunch of li- little bitty ants and they start caught in, the, caught in the the plant, you know. The, mm-hmm. It's a big root. And uh, he said they had a lot of ants. I said, oh, my God. So they're all over right now.
2: Oh, there are many, many, many kinds of ants, and they're very thirsty. That's why we're seeing so many of them in our homes as they're coming in looking for water. I had some on. <laughs> you don't want to hear this. I had some on my uh, kitchen table last night that I had to go after with the orange oil and uh but yeah uh orange oil or spinosad either one of those will safely control them but you don't have anything that's uh killing your plant so don't let anybody tell you you got to spend thousands of dollars spraying them
15: okay well i've got some orange oil in uh on a gallon uh where i pour it and it's been sitting there for over two months is it still still
2: good yeah it's still just fine good morning kathy
5: hi bob how are you today
2: i'm great thank you how about you
5: just fine, thank you. I hope you can help me or at least steer me in some kind of direction. I'll do my best. Uh, in my yard, uh, we have massive oak trees, hundreds of years old oak trees. And I I know this because of the way my great-great-grandparents built their <laughs> home and how they situated it. Uh-huh. And in the pasture, you know, you notice in the pasture where you have some live oak trees, maybe three, four, five, eight, all kind of sprouted up together, and then Mm -hmm. they get bigger, and then one of them dies. And, and you know, years later, another one dies. Well, I have this in my yard, but not the three biggest trees. I have three trees that are remaining. There's a stump of another one that had died earlier in my lifetime. I just don't remember when. Sure. And it's, you know, I, I set pots on it and stuff like that. But we had a bad storm in May of 2018, where it basically twisted the top of one of these big trees off. Mm -hmm. And it made it for a little while, and then it it died. It just couldn't take it. It didn't have much leaves left on it. And it was attached to another tree at the base. You could see it. They were connected. And the next year, that one just up and died in two, two weeks. You know, it was it had leaves on it, and then it was gone.
2: And these are live husband, oaks, not red oaks, right?
5: Correct. These are all live oaks. Okay. And uh, my husband had a friend that knew a guy that was a forestry guy, and he came out and looked at him, and we asked him, you know, is this the wilt or something like that? Is this, are we starting it here on our place? And he said, no, it was not. It was damaged from the storm, and it just, you know, drought, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's in the yard, but I don't. Water extra on the trees, sure. I just don't I haven't done it yet in in my my lifetime. Well, now there's another one that's probably two and a half three foot from the base of those two dead ones. What, what's left of those, and it is now weeping something off the bark out of the bark, and it looks like sorghum molasses
7: okay. and it's
5: you know where the where the tree angles, the trunk angles. It's it's dripping on the ground, it's dripping on rock, it's, you know, stuff. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what that stuff is. Is this something that we can fix or is this, you know, is this one maybe connected to the other two that didn't make it?
2: Well, what you're talking about, uh, for whatever reason, you know, these trees are a little more stressed than they have Uh been. It could be drought. Uh, We certainly are not in nearly as serious a drought as we were in 2011, but Mm -hmm. um, uh, if any dirt has been moved around in the past 20 years, if these trunks have gotten buried uh, at all above that big root flare, that will stress a tree. Of course, weed and feed fertilizers and products like that are horrible. and. they will stress a tree sometimes in some areas you've got a a clay layer that's a few feet down and you've got a neighbor, you know, a thousand yards away that's putting out um, some of these weed killers and brush killers and things like that. And it soaks into the soil and then it just moves along that clay layer and it winds up killing trees, you know, quite a long distance away. So I'm concerned about what is is stressing your trees now if here's you know drought stress and things like that it the whole tree doesn't just fold up and die at once you'll have you know big spots in the tree where all of a sudden the end of this limb three feet by three feet all the leaves die over here somewhere else on the tree uh, here's another little section that uh, a number of the leaves toward the tip of a branch have turned brown and died that is very typical from drought stress. But that, if,
5: now that's what happened to the second one that was yeah. attached to the one that got hit in the storm.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, that is
5: exactly what happened. I say it just happened in two weeks, but it was like we noticed, you know, driving home that oh look at that, yeah. oh look at that, ooh look at that, that kind of thing. And and, and then and then that was it. Well, you know, it just never it never came back. We don't have any neighbors. We don't use any chemicals. We okay. are Medina people. Yeah, you know we're 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 that you know that's what we fertilize with and let so, me
2: let me tell you one other thing that occasionally and this happens very, very commonly you talk about storms, you get a lightning strike on these trees, and yes, sometimes and
5: we about that too, because there was bark that after you know maybe three weeks, four weeks mm-hmm. a month or two after the storm uh we would have big sections of bark falling off what was left of it,
2: yeah. And that and, you know um, that that's always a possibility, Kathy. Whereabouts are you located? Where, uh, you know, where we're, we're
5: north. Uh, we're in mid middle of the Blanco County. Okay. Right off of two eighty one. We're, we're in the middle Blanco County. We've got a lot of caliche around here, but we've got a lot of oak trees,
2: mm-hmm. just
5: lots and lots of oak trees. And this one, I don't know how to do diameter, but the circumference. Uh-huh. It's forty-four inches. Okay. What you know, and it kind of leans over a little bit. Not not, you know, just very slightly, maybe twenty degrees as sure. it's going up because it was competing with these other two. You know, there were three trees all about the same circumference in this one little area.
2: Well, on the it, west
5: side of the house, you so, don't you, you know.
2: don't really need to know this, but if you want to do diameter, just divide circumference by 3.14 and you'll get the diameter. But what I'm going to tell you is uh, (laughs) 3 pi is the (laughs) PI as the mathematicians will tell you. But I would get an arborist to take a look at those trees and tell you, um, and and I'm going to give you the name of the, I think, the best arborist in the area. Now, this guy doesn't have anything to sell you, but his time. He's not the guy that does the work but he knows people that do. But he he is one of the people that teaches the classes that other arborists have to take if they want to become certified. And uh, his oh, nice. his name is David Vaughn, V-A-U-G-H-A-N. And I don't think you mind me giving out his uh, phone number. It's 210-788-4986. I would call David. I know he I know he gets out. I suspect he would go to Blanco County. He he worked for another friend that's the best arborist uh tree trimmer and all I know, but David said when you get to be seventy years old you you don't have to climb trees <laughs> and you don't have to work this hard. But uh he is he is the most knowledgeable man I know about trees and tree diseases and things like that. And I would give him a call and have him, especially if he's gonna be in your area Come by and take a look because there are a couple of diseases other than oak wilt. What you're describing to me uh, does not sound like oak wilt at all. I would agree with your forester friend that this does not sound like oak wilt but there's something called hypoxylon canker that you can sometimes mm-hmm. get in a stress tree, which is treatable, which is controllable. Uh, you can sometimes on a stress tree in effect get a bacterial infection. And that's when you so often see this kind of weepy stuff coming out of the tree. But these trees are extraordinarily valuable as to you and, mm-hmm. you know, to anyone else. So I, I think it's worth in effect going to the doctor or paying the doctor for a house call and I can promise you, David, he knows what he's talking about, and he's not going to try to sell you something you don't need. He's going to tell you what it needs and probably tell you the kind of company that could help you solve that. I suspect it is a stress-related issue that will not be all that difficult for you to correct. But I'm always concerned when the entire tree dies at one time, and that frequently happens from a lightning strike. You, Some trees, mm-hmm. the lightning will actually blow the bark off the tree. I've had that in my own ranch. I had a big old hollow sycamore one time. Lightning hit the tree and set the inside of the tree on fire. And many times on live oaks, I mean on pecans, you'll many times see burned spots down the side of the trunk where that bolt went through the tree to the ground. I've got that on some big old pecans out in one field. But a live oak, Many times, you you can't see any sign of a lightning strike, but you have a bolt that, you know, the temperature of that bolt internally may have been 1,000 degrees, and it just burns its way through a tree. And what you're looking at could very well be a lightning strike in a major storm, especially on an old tree. And I'll tell you, I recommend to people, if you have big trees that are a valuable part of your landscape, it's worth spending a little money to put lightning rods in those trees because lightning rods will protect your trees just like they will your home. But at this point this wow, is I all speculation. Yeah, this I is never all thought about that. Yeah, speculation on my part. But I'm gonna recommend you call David and talk to him and see if you can get him to come out and take a look because uh um it doesn't sound it does not sound like disease to me. It sounds like something stress related and with the kind of lightning storms we've had lately. Um, this, you know, could easily be the result of a lightning strike, and I don't really know what, if anything, you can do about that. But David Vaughn will.
5: Right, right. Well, I'm, I, I'm glad, I'm glad that it, if it was lightning, it didn't hit my house. Yep. And but I'm very upset and sad that it, it hit my tree. In well. fact. We just got through cleaning up the rest of the pasture, and it's mm-hmm. taken this long. We lost oak trees in a swath. And oh, yeah. I probably should have had somebody come and look and say, was this straight line? Was this a twister? But all the oaks were leaning one way, but they were uprooted, and these were huge trees. Oh, I know.
2: It can be what's and, called a downburst, and it can be very, very localized and uh on the lightning rod issue uh when i lived in san antonio lightning hit the house across the street and uh mm. caused quite a fire wasn't very long before i had lightning rods on my home <laughs> and my barn in the country and if you if you want to think about that for your home it's not all that expensive uh, uh bonded lightning protection is a company that does work all over texas and when we uh when we built our new groundwater district office in Bernie, I said, "Hey, I want lightning rods on our building. I'm going to pay for lightning mm-hmm. rods on our building because I don't want you know to see this building burn down and I will tell you lightning rods do not necessarily protect your t v and your computers and oh, your no. things inside, but they will keep your home from burning down so that's while right. you're out in the country
5: you we can't get water I guess, <laughs> you know you know I mean
2: yes, I, I do I have
5: an older I have a very old wooden home, and it would be gone before they ever got to the gate oh, well, I no my, doubt about it
2: My home was I built in nineteen sixty. I am
5: so glad that you gave me this name well, i am- you know, I just didn't want to get some shade tree type person and i don't mean that with the trees
2: yeah you want a you want a shady tree not a shady person and david david's (laughs) David's the best in the business and And you uh,
5: just don't know where to go you know you just don't know where to go and i said you know i was out there mowing and uh, uh over the weekend and i i looked at the ground after i mowed and it was just like somebody had taken a gallon of of molasses mm-hmm. and just sprinkled it. And you can look up and see it dripping.
2: Yeah, And well, there's
5: something not right there. And I really don't want to
7: lose this tree. No,
2: it's probably what we call bacterial wet wood. David will tell you what to do about it. And seriously, uh, the thing about lightning rods and uh, bonded lightning protection is a company that I've used more than once. And my business partner used it on her home and on her husband's workshop. And, uh, They had a lightning strike that literally blew the plugs out of the floor in his workshop, which is bigger than their Mm -hmm. house. (laughs) He thinks he has his priorities in order, but uh, lightning rods are a real good investment if you are situated in a place where you may get lightning strikes. But anyway, I better keep going. You you have a great day, and you let me know what you learn on that. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you. Ah, Goodbye. All right, back to gardening. It's going to be Judy and Skip and Evelyn and Harry, and it's Judy's turn. Good morning, Judy.
5: Hi, Judy. I'm here.
2: Okay, very good.
5: I'm sorry. I didn't think I was next. Um, Last year, I planted or had planted eight xylosma that were about five feet tall, and now they're about seven. They're doing really well. Uh But someone was over here the other day and said, you know, you need to cut those back so they'll fill out. And I thought, "Mm, I don't think so.
2: (laughs) Well, it's a great question. Um, If a plant, a xylosma, or just about anything else, is in full sun, um you when you cut it back what you do is you encourage it to branch and typically you make you know a thicker plant out of it now i'm not into cutting you know huge branches out i'm sometimes into just cutting the tips off on the branches which will indeed make a branch which will make them thicker but xylosma is a shrub that will grow in anything from bright shade all the way up to blistering hot sun But in a shadier area, no matter what you do, you're not really going to get the plants to get a lot thicker because a plant kind of judges how much light it gets and it puts on the appropriate number of leaves to absorb that amount of light. So without seeing it i can't tell you if trimming it back some would make it thicker or not uh, i'm like i like to say i'm big in early spring and before the new growth begins go through and take some tips off on uh, anywhere that you would like that plant to branch and become thicker but many times and i see this on everything from boxwood to yopon to xylosma Sometimes if they're a little thin toward the base, it's simply because the base of the plant's not getting much light, and cutting it back will do absolutely nothing to remedy that. So uh, let your friend cut back their own plants. Well,
5: a, I'm, I'm standing here in the kitchen window looking at them right now because I, I planted them because my neighbor built a, <laughs> to, to block a motor home. Uh, anyway. That's the most
2: common reason people plant them, yes.
5: And, and, I, you know, and I put a cup of, uh, of uh, Medina granular and some mm-hmm. mycorrhizal fungi in the, in the bottom of the hole before they planted them, and they're really doing well.
2: Yeah,
5: um, They're not scrawny, and they have a lot of growth down at the bottom. I mean, they came with growth, and I just haven't cut on them at uh, all. You
2: just don't need to. If you did anything, I'd literally be a
5: bit just clipping
2: clip an inch in or spring. two. Actually, spring is the best time, late February. And just, you know, take an inch or two off the end of some of those branches where you would like them to get out uh, to become a little bit more heavily branched. But you're doing great. I'd be fertilizing, I'd be watering, but uh, you don't have to do anything. Um, And they're just going to get thicker and prettier and screen out that ugly view. (laughs) Yeah, one of my favorite plants.
5: Yeah yeah okay i just- i want I want them to grow fast and tall so.
2: <laughs> well, that's fertilized water in time
5: yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much.
2: we all know what the little boy's prayer is, and that is uh dear Lord, give me patience and please hurry yeah, yeah that's kind of the way it is, but it sounds like they're doing well. they'll probably put on three to four feet of growth next spring, and hopefully that bad view will be blocked permanently
5: yeah, I hope so. um, they get full sun pretty yeah. much perfect so. Okay, well, thank you. I appreciate
2: it. My pleasure, Judy. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right, uh, next up is going to be Skip. Good morning, Skip.
16: Hey, good morning.
2: Morning, sir. Uh,
16: you know, I've listened to you. I don't call that much, but <laughs> uh, I, I learn a lot. But anyway, I know that people have called in and say, what's the best time to plant a tree? And you say either 10 years ago or today. Yep. And I went over to Yannick's Nursery over there in Shiner, uh-huh, and I bought uh Six inch caliper uh, 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 cypress, uh, bur oak, magnolia, and all that, and they work just fine. Good. I'm just wondering, I want to find, I don't know if they do this, but I'm 73 and I don't have a lot of years to wait. I want to buy, I want to plant some lemon, lime, orange, satsuma, and peach. Is there a place I can buy uh, trees like that in a 100 gallon pot or, or?
2: Bigger where they're already producing? Oh, man. Um, you might ask the folks you've done business with before because obviously they deal with some of the big tree producers. I don't know. I'm sure there are. There uh citrus. See, the big problem with citrus is we've got this disease that's come out of Mexico called greening, and uh-huh. the Texas Department of Agriculture has made it virtually impossible to ship citrus around this state i think we've only got three certified nurseries uh that are able to grow and ship citrus so it's not like uh i mean i can tell you places where you can go get an oak or an elm or a you know mexican sycamore you can get them in as big a pot as you can afford but citrus is is a whole different matter because the texas department of agriculture has uh really regulated the movement of these trees to try to cut down on the spread of this disease so i i talked to the folks uh, that you got your other trees from and see if they know anyone um the the best nursery i know of and they have fair size trees but not that big there's a a wholesale grower in columbia texas called brazos citrus nursery and uh, your friends at can probably call them and find out what the biggest trees they have, and they're going to know the source. Now, um, peaches, you may be able to find a little bit bigger ones. There are a few places that have some bigger pecans, but uh, it's much harder to find fruit trees than it is to find uh, shade trees, but uh, if anybody will know, they will.
16: Oh, okay. You know, I let no know Dr. Jerry Parsons here to go, and he... Some guy wanted to plant some banana trees, and he told him, uh, "What you do is you don't don't want you you want to not let that banana tree freeze. Yeah, it needs yeah. to be without frost in eighteen months
2: to get them to produce bananas. That's correct.
16: Yeah, yeah. So he he told him, uh, uh, plant that thing, and when when about October comes before the frost, dig it up. <laughs> Get your wife to carry it into the garage and wrap it up. And the guy said, "Why my wife?" He said, "Well, hell, those things are heavy."
2: Yeah, <laughs> sounds like Parsons. He's uh, yeah, yeah he's half comedian and a half plant guy. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, no, it's there.
1: Right, well,
16: I'll go back to my source over there and see if I can find. Right. I, I just want to. Uh, I want to get in and have the them producing already when I buy them.
2: Well, I totally understand that, and I, I just telling you one of the reasons that it's difficult to find is not because growers don't want to grow them it's because the state won't let them ship them across county lines so good luck with that and let me know what you find
4: okay thank you i appreciate it
2: my pleasure skip thank you sir all right uh let's talk to evelyn good morning
4: good morning bob how are you
2: i'm great thank you how about you this morning
4: well pretty well um i've just started uh, listening to you recently
2: Appreciate and that. And
4: I've got 70 acres out in Uvalde County.
2: And congratulations.
4: But I am, <laughs> thank you. And I'm trying to develop it into uh, ranch land for cattle and horses. Mm-hmm. And in the spring, I had a company come out and spray for weeds and do the synthetic fertilizer. Okay. Which I've learned that's not no wise to do.
2: <laughs> <laughs> You're learning. That's a very good sign. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
4: yes, sir. So, what you know is there somebody, a contact person in my area, that I can have come out to do uh, organic fertilizer, or um, can you give me some ideas?
2: I, I'll give you several ideas, but. Um... One, an organization I want you to become familiar with is called Acres, A-C-R-E-S, Acres USA. Uh, They have a good magazine. They have a good online presence. They have probably done more than any other single organization in the world to help people, especially in southwestern United States, uh, maximize their production, maximize their income, uh, through building soil, building soil fertility, staying away from the toxic stuff. And quite frankly, the people that are following their principles and raising beef their ways and all, they're, they're selling their cows and pigs and chickens for three times as much as the other guys are. But Acres USA is is just the best resource that I know of, uh, that will help you learn all the things that you're anxious to learn at this point. And I would strongly encourage you to get in touch with them. Uh, they've gotten, to they're doing so much more. I mean, I've enjoyed their magazine for years, but now like on a monthly basis, they're putting some phenomenal articles up on the internet that I always try to read online. But anyway, acres USA is going to help you with your learning process. And, now, where exactly, your 70 acres, you said, are Uvalde area?
4: Correct. Well, it's uh, Utopia.
2: Utopia. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I want you to call a fellow named Fred Morales, M-O-R-A-L-E-S. Um okay. And Fred, uh, uh, he has Morales feed, and I believe they have a location up near you. I know they have locations uh, just south of San Antonio, but they also have a location up toward Utopia, and I think they are still doing um, what what Fred does. He, he has bulk organic fertilizers and at a very reasonable price, actually cheaper than that synthetic fertilizer. But he, okay. um and one of the services that they have provided, and I think they still do, he'll take one of his big fertilizer spreaders, load it with fertilizer, deliver it to your property. You simply hook it up to whatever implement you have, pull it around, put the fertilizer out, and then take the empty empty machine back to him. And so he's probably not going to be driving the tractor that's pulling it around, but he will get it to you already in a spreader. So basically all you have to do is hook onto it. I don't even think it requires a PTO, a power takeoff. I think you can probably do it with a Jeep or an SUV or anything else, but Fred is making it possible. He's a great guy by the way, anyway, but he's making it possible for people to use the right products without having to go out and buy a whole bunch of equipment. And, uh, uh, he's, you know, he he carries two or three different lines of organic fertilizers, uh, all of which will really help you improve your land.
4: Would you happen to have his phone number?
2: I don't, but uh, just Google Morales feed. I'm sure you can find it. If not, call me over at Shades of Green one day and I'll find his uh, his phone number for you. I, I probably have his cell. I'm not sure if I do or not. I'm reluctant to give that out over the air, but look for a Morales feed and uh, whichever location you call, they will track him down for you. And um, <laughs> if, if you want a two minute conversation, you're going to get a 20 minute conversation because he's, <laughs> he is really out to help you be successful with what you're doing. And uh, just a good guy, just honest as the day is long and uh, uh, he's there to help you any way he can.
8: Well,
4: he sounds exactly what I need. I sure appreciate your help.
2: Well, it's always a pleasure. Congratulations on your new place. And uh, I want to see pictures over the years of uh, how you turn it into a show place for all your neighbors.
4: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your help.
2: Always a pleasure, Evelyn. Thank you. All right, let's get back to gardening. Looks like it's going to be Lex and Richard and Faye. Good morning, Lex. Well, good morning. How are you doing, sir? I'm great, sir. How about yourself?
1: Oh, doing pretty good. Uh, Here in New Bromfield where it never rains anymore.
2: <laughs> one of these days it will. It's uh, it's uh, like my old friend Alton Grimm used to say, every day we're one day closer to the next good rain.
1: Well, I was yesterday, I got a neighbor who lives about five houses down from me, got an inch and a quarter, and I got nothing out of it on my <laughs> coastal field right
2: there. And I thought, this is ridiculous. Yeah, but, welcome to uh, Texas. <laughs>
1: yes, sir. Uh, I got a coastal field, and what my problem is, I've got a uh, blue stem and medio coming into it. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, there is a program uh, where you can call up the fire department. They'll come out and do a controlled burn with you. you got to set it up. Can that help knock that back in my coastal field? And would it hurt
2: the coastal? It will not hurt the coastal. Coastal, you know, produces an underground rhizome. Control burns are a science. Um, I mean, there is, it's not just go set the pasture on fire. And it's not just waiting for the right weather. You've got to be sure that you've grown it out to where you have enough fuel for it to burn well, to get hot enough to kill the seeds of the invasive species that you don't want. And um, I, I, I was not aware that there are fire departments that will actually do it. They will help with fire safety. They will, you know, help uh, with sending out a fire truck and sending out crews to kind of monitor because uh, weather changes and you don't want it to get out of hand. But uh, you probably, if you've got a good feed store, if you've got a good farm and ranch supplier, they can put you in touch. In fact, your county agent. Maybe one of the best ones to tell you uh, who is in the area, you know, that does control burns. Because, it, like I say, this is uh, this is a lot more than just slight a match to the field. I will tell you, Correct. too, that if you will, you know, get in a program of maybe using liquid molasses as a spray after you've, uh, you know, whenever you harvest your coastal. And there are people around, like Fred Morales that I was just talking about that provide an organic fertilizer that actually builds the soil for less money than you're spending on twenty one zero zero. There's a lot you can do Correct. to encourage your coastal without getting the KR Blue stem and the bahia and all these other noxious things in there. But uh, control burning yeah. I recommend very highly, and uh, it's one of the that's single that's best that. things you can do for your land, but just be sure you're getting a pro to do it. Um, if your county agent can't help you find somebody... Call one of our guys over in Kendall County, and we can sure point you toward. Or the fire department may very may very well know someone who does control burns. But uh, uh, like I say, it's something you prepare for. It's something you specifically try to build up a, uh, the proper fuel load level, as they call it, so the fire burns hot enough to control the things that you're trying to control.
1: Oh, I've been using uh, just, I've been spraying with molasses from Mister Kett and uh, here in Comal County.
2: Uh-huh. And,
1: uh huh. But right now it's about oh I say a little over a foot tall. I haven't yeah. cut it or anything because there's no rain. And I thought you know, and I talked to actually I had somebody run through my fence a while back, <laughs> and the fire department was out there, and the guy was telling me, yeah, you can go talk to the fire department. Sometimes they come out and they'll actually practice. And I thought, well, I'll go check it out. So.
7: Uh, well.
2: Yeah.
1: I'd rather somebody else do it than me. I yeah,
2: don't want to burn the whole county. Yeah. You're <laughs> right, and, and the fire chief's his best friend. You've got second uh, in line is the sheriff, but uh, especially when it gets dry. And uh, uh, God, we have a we have a phenomenal fire chief in the Bernie area, but I'm sure you do over there. But talk to him, yeah. and uh, they'll point you in the right direction. If they can't get back with me, and I'll find somebody to help you.
1: Okay, can, do I got time for one more question? Yes, sir. Uh, I bought a house about three years ago. And the people that built it were not very smart, I guess, Uh I could say. They built it. I got an oak tree that's probably 24-inch diameter. Uh And it's about three to four feet away from the slab. Okay. And what the problem is, I guess the roots are pushing up on it. It's starting to crack the slab. Nothing you can do about that, is there?
2: Well, which was there first, the oak tree or the or the slab? Did this oak tree get planted later or did they come in and uh and no and oh, no, this is
1: this is a huge live oak. It's probably like I said, twenty four inch diameter. I mean it's huge. And okay. it's been there for probably a hundred years if if not more.
2: Normally it if it's right yeah, if it's a decent builder, they're gonna cut down enough to put in their grade beam that they're going to take out any roots that, you know, may potentially be the problem. I, I see an awful lot of foundation problems, and the trees get blamed 98% of the time, and the trees are actually to blame 10% of the time when there are other factors right. going on. So, um, I, you know, again, I would talk to, I'd talk to maybe to a, a licensed arborist, Or somebody like that, what they will do is they'll come out with something called an air spade that uses compressed air to actually dig without harming anything. And they will dig along the area, you know, along your foundation next to that, and they can expose any roots that may be causing a problem. Many times uh, they can do things with those roots to, uh, if indeed the roots are the cause of the problem with your foundation. But nobody can stand on top of the ground and tell you what's causing it. Uh, But a good arborist with an air spade, and it's not that expensive. Air spades are amazingly efficient at digging. And uh, they will simply, you know, go down like four feet, maybe six feet along the edge of the foundation. Not very expensive to do. And at that point, you can see what the real problem is and make your decision where to go from there.
1: Okay, well, that sure sounds good, and I appreciate all your wisdom and knowledge and
2: <laughs> it's learned the hard way it's uh remember <laughs> what will rogers he said uh good judgment comes mainly from experience, which comes mainly from bad judgment, so <laughs> yeah' <anyway, sir. laughs> glad to be here for you. Have a great weekend. All right, back to gardening. We're going to finish the show up with Richard and Faye. Richard is up first. Good morning, Richard.
10: Hey, Bob. Uh, my Bermuda lawn in my backyard uh-huh. is dormant. I'd say it's about thirty uh, percent either Dallas or crabgrass. So okay. I'm wondering, uh, would resodding be a better plan or reseeding with Bermuda seed? And if so, what time of year?
2: Okay. Is your yard super sunny?
10: It is, and okay. it's got a, a, a oak tree that's about. 16 feet high, so I know maybe in about 10 years it's going to transition to shade eventually.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's 10 years down the road we're worried about today. Um, there are lots of things to consider. Uh, it's a lot cheaper to go with uh, seed than it is with sod. Uh, your planting window is very limited because it needs to be really hot when you put out Bermudia. And right now it's really hot. Uh, Look in your crystal ball, and if you think it's going to stay hot for the next six weeks, then seeding would very definitely be an option. Sodding is more expensive, but it's also much faster, and it gives you the option to perhaps get a better kind of Bermuda in there. I love the TIFF 419. It's, um, It's high traffic. It's denser. It's prettier. It's not nearly as invasive as common Bermuda, but you can't plant it from seed. The only way you can plant it is with existing sod. So, uh, you know, the other consideration, you know, are you planting an acre or are you planting a few hundred square feet? And uh, the thing about sod, too, is you can plant it just almost 365 days a year, maybe not quite that on Bermuda, but you have a much wider window of time. So uh, you kind of have to look at your family. You look at your needs. If you've got big dogs in mud, then uh not that it's been raining much lately but that will change but there're just a lot of things that go into it if you have the funds to do it sodding is always going to give you a much faster uh, much less work intensive way of getting a good jar going but uh if you're on a real tight budget seed is is certainly an option and if you think we're going to have hot weather you can go ahead and plant seed now Otherwise, it's pr- wait till next summer to put the seed in. With the sodding, uh, uh, again, we've got another good six, eight weeks of time to do that in this fall, and we've got a much wider window of opportunity to do that in the spring. So um, you've just got the decision to make of uh, balancing time versus cost.
10: Okay, I was thumbing through one of a couple of Howard Garrett books, and I know he's uh-huh. fond of... Uh, Buffalo grass, would mm-hmm. that be a good mix, Bermuda and Buffalo, to oversee
2: with that or just stick with Bermuda? Um, buffalo grass is a low-water grass. It is does not compete well with weeds. If there's any one problem you have with Buffalo, it's fighting weeds, and Bermuda's going to win every time. Uh, okay. If you want Buffalo, you pretty much have to remove all the Bermuda because pretty soon all you're going to have is Bermuda. Buffalo is... Uh, uh, it's not the perfect grass. If you were where you said, I just can't afford to put water on it, yeah, buffalo would probably be a good choice. But for uh, most turf uses, something like your Tiff is going to do a better job for you. Okay, thank you much. Good questions. Thank you for the call, Richard. All right, let's finish our day up today with Faye. Good morning, Faye. Yeah, good morning, Bob. I I know you're short on time. Hey, we have about five minutes, so we've got time oh, to okay. talk a little bit. Yeah.
13: We can probably cover my my question. I have a large ficus tree that is, um, I've I've tried to take care of it in the winter, and what's happened is I have all top Uh and two long um, uh, stems, so to speak, going clear to the top. And the thing is, uh, oh, I'm looking at it now, it's um, probably seven feet high. And so what I'm thinking is it isn't pretty anymore because it doesn't have anything, under those, but it sure but it well in the lie. What, what I was thinking is, could I just cut some uh, gradually cut some of those uh, uh, stems out that, and, uh, and uh, get them to root so I have some more ficus trees?
2: Well, if you want to have more ficus trees, faye, it's rather than trying you know big stems don't root well at all, but I think oh. you and I have talked about air layers before and you could certainly put air layers on limbs of any size because with an air layer you're basically creating a pre-rooted cutting so you can actually you know start a plant that's 10 times bigger than something that you're going to do from a cutting so um i think it is very doable and by doing that you will also cause the ficus benjamina to thicken up a great deal uh, air layers are always most effective when it's warm. And, of course, you're a little bit warmer in San Antonio and the hill country all the time. But if you opt to do this this year, you need to do it immediately. But the other thing I'm going to do is I'm going to have a real intense program of watering and feeding that ficus benjamina, keeping it in the maximum amount of light you can, because I want that tree to be really vigorous so that when you cut off these air layers, these pre-rooted cuttings that you're creating... I want that ficus to come back out and fill out and be prettier than it's ever dim, been before. I mean, to me, you, it may be a pretty good-sized plant, but ficus benjamina, the biggest one I ever saw, was in Jamaica. The trunk was about four feet through. The tree is about 125 feet tall and 150 feet wide. So you have a baby ficus benjamina for all intents and purposes, and you can make a much prettier tree out of it, But uh, and you can certainly get some new plants out of it. But uh air layers are sure gonna be preferable to trying to do cuttings.
13: Oh, okay. Well thank you for that. And then I have some uh, fruit uh vegetables in the refrigerator that I wanted to to uh uh take the seeds from, but they're they're getting older. Uh is there a point in there where I probably just wanna find new new uh fruit or
2: Well uh, I you know, in in nature the fruit rots and provides nutrient to the developing seed. The question, uh, fruits, vegetables, things like that, for me, is always how mature was the fruit when it was picked? Because unless that fruit was fully mature, the seed is probably not mature and it's probably not viable. Um, But if the fruit or vegetable or whatever was allowed to go to full maturity on the stem, then, yeah, you can collect that seed any time, wash it out in a colander, put it in a, you know, envelope uh, in a jar in the refrigerator. But a lot of times the things we get from the grocery store are harvested so green that the seed is not matured and it wouldn't grow no matter what you do. So that's going to have to be a consideration as well.
13: Okay, thanks. And then uh, uh, the other thing I thought about is for fall herbs from seed, uh, parsley, cilantro, oregano, thyme, uh, any of those uh, over winter, and I can start them now from seed?
2: All of them over winter. Um, cilantro, easy from seed. Parsley, pretty easy from seed. Woody things like rosemary, thyme, parsley, or sage, um, oregano, those things, I prefer little plants rather than seed. I, I have difficulty starting woody herbs from seed, but the soft tender stuff uh, like both flat and curl parsley and cilantro and dill. Those things grow easily from seed.
13: Okay. Well, thank you. That covers me, and I sure appreciate it.
2: Well, it's always a pleasure. Good to talk to you. Have a good week, and we'll talk again.